Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Oh! It's Callum Brown that stands up for the Pies. Half it at the back. We'll run onto it. Level the scores. It happens so quickly when the ground is set like that. The gift to Tim Kelly. Still a cat. A handball through to Hawkins. Always a cat. A dribbler. A bouncer. A beauty. I'll block the baby, Tommy. 500 goals for Tom Hawkins. What a way to bring it up. What a win this will be for the Cats. They've got the tough draw at the start of the season, but they begin with a bang. A win over last year's runners-up. It's the upset of the season so far. It was in some way validation of the things we've worked on. Now, the reality is that we're realistic about where we are, but for our players and for our footy club, I think they could look at some of the new players out there and think it actually makes sense why they're in our best 22 at the moment. We made too many blues and a consistent theme across the pre-season has been too many turnovers in our back half and that's an issue from our pre-season carried into round one, something we need to work on. The reinvented Cats post a win full of meeting, edging the Magpies in a thriller. Victorious coach Chris Scott is our headline guest along with Collingwood captain Scott Pendlebury. But as you speak, Hutto, Rance is down behind the plate, 20 out from the Blues goal line. They're going to have to stop play. Don't want to jump to conclusions, but he's holding the front of the knee, the top of the shin, which, in my experience, is, is some sort of hyperextension through that area. Well, that is generally where players are going to grab when, when it's an ACL-type injury. Whether it be part of our team, particularly uh, hurts that little bit more, but seeing any player go down in uh, AFL footy when... Uh, think that they think it's a significant injury, but uh, obviously um, further scans and so forth will determine that outcome. It's probably uh, suspected ACL at this point, which is incredibly disappointing, but measure of the man, you, you wouldn't know it by his demeanour. He's such, a, such an incredible you know, person first and foremost, but uh, look, it's going to be disappointing if, if it is. You know, he's an incredible player, and I hate to see those players go out of the game, so um, look, we'll, we'll cross our fingers and hope for the best, but it's looking you know, dire at this stage. Um, it is what it is. I'm, uh, I'm pretty upbeat. Like, I've got a really great life, and there's far worse things happening in the world than just uh, a knee injury. So, um, yeah, I can't complain too much. One man doesn't make a team, and, yeah, I know that they're sad, and I know I'm cared for, and it's really great, but um, I think that we can't let the care and um, emotion get in the way of performance. Um, so, yeah, I'll be there to, to pick them up, make them laugh, um, and then, yeah, we'll get on with the job. Richmond faces up to a year without Alex Rance. How does the absence of the generation's best defender reshape the season? As we sit right here now, we still don't know exactly what's going on with the runners rule. That's got its frustration. We need to respect this is a mental health issue. It's a well-being issue, and you probably need to back off a little bit. Biggest outlay, 18,000 on a horse. That 
got caught on the rails. Then the next race sort of just uh, acting like it never really happened. It's the comments that are just severely inappropriate. Now I'm uncomfortable in my workspace. To some extent, it needs to be rebuilt. I don't think I did say round four. I wouldn't be surprised if it's longer than round four. Fortunes rise and fall in the lead up to the season in a combative week off the field and in the stands. We'll tackle all the big issues in the crunch. It's the first edition of Crunch Time for 2019 for Honda's 50th birthday celebration, continuing until March 31, and fall in lunch in love with lunch again at Subway. <laughs> More than 163,000 fans have been through the MCG over these first two nights. They have offered so much drama and threads to pull at. And today, the next eight teams go across three states, and doubtless there will be much to dissect by the end of the first Saturday of the season. The first edition of Crunch Time, Jared Waitley with you. David King is with me. Kingy, good morning. Morning, G. Morning, boys. Great to be back. What a fantastic start to the year. I'm, I'm excited about what we've seen already, even though it maybe hasn't been as high scoring as we'd hoped, but the, the contests actually mean something again. It's not just locked in you know, a 30, 40 metre space on the ground. It's, it's out and moving and it's everything the AFL wanted. Bob Murphy, welcome. Hello, Jared. Hello, David. Robert. Nice to be here. First of the year. Excited. Yeah, much, much the same as Kingy. Really excited to see some great footy, some tight finish last night. Um, yeah, can't wait to see what we get for the rest of the round. And Kane Corns fresh from the streets of New York in the half marathon. Kane, welcome back to Crunch Time. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jared, and good morning to you all. Look, I agree with what both Bob and, and Kingy said, and already it's hard not to cast your eye to round two. We've got so much footy ahead of us in round one, but I look to next Friday night and think, well, Collingwood and Richmond Friday night? Uh, how big is that going to be? Kingy, I heard you speak during the week on uh, AFL 360 about the stats when teams go 0-2. and two. Now, we know Collingwood did it last year and went on to play in a grand final, but there's a lot riding on it for the Pies next week. Look, I think we're all confident that they'll be around the mark again, but next week's huge and Geelong take on Melbourne. So just a massive, almost an eight-point game, I thought, last night, that win for Geelong. Most people had last night as the, the top of the list for ramifications for meaning, for understanding. They do play low-scoring dual matches last year. It was nine goals to five. They slogged it out last night. But for the quiet revolution that's happened down the highway, you could see on the final siren, Kingy, how much it meant. Well, that's what I want to talk about today, the new Geelong. Because I just want to, let's just go back six months. And I don't know who it was, and we'll ask Chris Scott uh, shortly, how the idea was presented. Hey, well, how about we just move... Ablett forward, Selwood out of the middle to Hall of Famers in our competition. Let's just get them away from where the game's won and lost, the absolute midfield, and find other spots for them and trust guys like Charlie Constable, who they hadn't really seen at AFL level. They'd had, had glimpses through the VFL year last year. And Brandon Parfitt and Kelly, uh, those younger guys, to come and take control of this midfield. I mean, that would have been an incredibly tough call to say, yep, that's where we're going. And, and I think when you see last night, whilst it's only 120 minutes and not quite vindication, but, gee, I'll tell you what it does. It makes them dangerous all over the ground now. A, a, a lot of the conversation wasn't around when they finished another middle of the table finish last year. Was, and then the conversation was a little bit around, do, do, you get, do Geelong get stuck in that middle part of the year and do they, do they just go with what they've got again and they've 
they've publicly put it on that they've changed things up, like like you've like you've said, King. And we you know they've they've brought some new players in, but but really last night it was it was much about. The, the building from within of what they what they'd already have. You don't get the full picture on TV where I was watching from last night, but Kingy, I'm interested in those thoughts and that sentiment you just said then, because at one point, Grundy was doing anything. He, he, his touch last night at the centre bounce, I think Collingwood kicked two centre bounce goals in a row at one point in the second quarter. So, how did they hold their nerve with that? Not to put Ablett in there, not to put Seward in there, and get the momentum back without the control of the runner being as prevalent as what it was last year. I think we've got to be careful not to get confused here. So Dangerfield is still doing the same amount of work at centre bounces and and then getting forward. So his role hasn't changed. We're bracketing him often in this discussion. He's the same. Duncan's the same. Kelly's mm. the same. So their volume hasn't really changed. But what's changed is Selwood's only going in for... Six or seven centre bounces, absolute true midfield minutes. Whilst the wing's still an important role, and so is the half forward flank or wherever they choose half to place flank. half backs. Yeah, of course, <laughs> how, how did I forget that? <laughs> those, whilst those roles are important, they're not as significant with the rule changes. So he only went in for I think six centre bounces last night. Now last year that would have been closer to twenty. Yep. So it's a big shift. Gary Ablett went in for one centre bounce last night. That's his first centre bounce opportunity for the season. Didn't have a look through the JLT in the middle. So when you look at the numbers and you see how many times Constable was in there and Parfit and these guys, you say, well, okay, there's a, there's a shift. And what, and let's be honest, the Geelong forward line wasn't working last night. It mm. wasn't. It was dysfunctional for, felt like an hour. And then when Dangerfield went down there late, particularly that sort of second half of the last quarter, you think they look like scoring every time they go in. So if they can get more out of Dangerfield for in the forward 50, and Tom didn't have a great night, neither did Asava, but you know, Gary Rowan had, had a classic Gary Rowan night. You know, mm. Moments and, and almosts and nearlys, but not much ten, to show for Ten it. possessions for Gary. That seems to be... That's his signature, isn't yeah. it? The ten so, possession so they need, We'd love to bump that up a bit. They need Dangerfield down there. I'm interested in your thoughts, Kane. What cost? Do you, do you, do you say, look... And I know he's, he's Danger's done it again last night. 27 touches, one goal, two, half a dozen clearances. Look, he's just a power. There's no doubt about that. But I actually still think they need him more in the forward 50 than the middle of the ground. It appears that way as well. When you look at their goal kickers from last year, I mean, Hawkins, Menzel was up there. He's not there anymore. So they're going to need him to kick. I think he kicked 24 last year, as did Kelly from the midfield. I didn't know Kelly was this good. So I, I probably underrated uh, Tim Kelly on, on the back of what he did last night, but uh, last year, but last night he was outstanding. So he's now genuinely a, a, probably a top 10, 15 midfielder in the game. So you can rely on him. Duncan's been a good player for a long time. But Dowhouse gives you something, a high half forward through the midfield at stages. So, look, I, I like the mix they've got in there. And a lot of talk about Collingwood's midfield during the week and perhaps the best of all time. Well, Geelong go out last night, they win contested ball, they win stoppage. The inside 50 count in the second half was 34 to 17. So that was a dominant display uh, by Geelong up against the side that we all think is going to be top four this year. What were your first impressions of Collingwood? Uh, really clunky. Nathan Buckley put it spot on. It was a classic round one game. You know, they just couldn't quite get connection. They were out a few times. They were walking in the goals a few times. And for whatever reason, an error would occur from nowhere. I mean, we didn't see that last year. And you probably won't see it in four weeks' time. But 
in a lot of ways, it was probably a bad loss because it was, it was there to be won late um, and just some just basic skill execution, and they probably win the game. I mean, we're not just discounting Geelong and the, their ability to fight back or whatever. They walk away with the four points and don't really care what our aftermath or our wash-up is, but they'd be disappointed with so much with how they played, how they executed. They're up by 11 points at halftime, and, and I, I was at the ground, and just watching it, it, they just looked like they should have been so much further up than that. They, and, they, and as soon as they, you know, and they let the cats back in, they still have a look at it at the end. I think they'd be really dirty on it. Can, can I just make a comment? We, we talked on your show on Monday mornings, Jared. The JLT. What what do you get out of the JLT? And we said, don't worry about winning and losing because that that's not really what it's about. How you're scoring and how you're conceding. They were the only things to look for. What's working? What's failing? Nathan Buckley said in the post match conference last night. He said. We turned the ball over a lot coming out of our back half in the first two JLT games, and it happened again last night. Now, I don't know whether that's because Geelong had a lot of speed in their forward line now. Love Grind Myers. Love what he was able to do last night. Rowan's pressure was good. Gary Ablett's pressure was enormous. Now, we haven't mm. seen that before. So sometimes you put value in things as a coaching group, and the whole the whole group comes with you. And I, th- I think when you look at the turnovers in the forward half last night, Geelong, Geelong just dominated them. So one broad one before we zero in. Scott Pendlebury's going to join us, Chris Scott, uh, after the break. Is we got so the first impressions of the rules. Um, there are no secondary ball ups in the middle. That that is so stark. Is you get a clearance virtually every centre bounce. But the last night, at the moment, Collingwood hit the front. There's five minutes to go. They're a goal in front. They can't put a man behind the ball. Stanley muscles the ball out, kicks it long in. There's a huge pack. House spoils it, gets to the back path. It runs into the open goal. That was sort of the first crystallising moment is, I suppose, last year, either one or two extras go behind the ball. And I don't know what that looks like. But in one snapshot is it, those the last five minutes, there's going to be a lot that can happen. I saw uh, Nick... Sorry, Bob. Nick Rewalt highlight some of the tactics that Richmond used to slide an extra player behind the ball at stages. So I think sides are going to become more mechanical about the way they go about doing that. But uh, all in all, two games we've had six centre bounce goals scored out of two games, which is which is less than last year, probably on average, Kingy. So uh, I mean, it's early days, two games in, but it hasn't dramatically increased scoring or scoring from centre bounces, but. It looks better. The ga- for, from my perspective, the game looks better and it, it looks cleaner. It's exactly the same as last year, the, the oh, averages. I, I, I asked the question to you guys. Did you feel the excitement? When it, when it got close at the end, did you start to think, OK, now it is interesting with the 6-6-6 and now we get to see... I, I got excited. I thought, OK, well, now we, we don't, you can't be the ultra-defensive straight away. So we... We get to open it up a bit. Collingwood got that next centre break, but they spent it wide out at right half forward instead of being able to get it inside the 50 and the possibilities sort of dry up as soon as it doesn't go direct in. Well, if you want to talk about Collingwood, I mean, they've, they've scored last night three goals, five from forward 50 stoppages. Now, normally that's you probably get two scores a game out of that, whether you convert it or not, good luck to you. There's a heavy reliance on scoring pure from stoppage rather than on turnover at the moment. The balance is out of whack. We'll continue to delve. Chris Scott is about to join us and we'll ponder what does Alex Rance's absence mean not only for Richmond but to the season more broadly. This is crunch time for Honda's 50th birthday celebration which continues with great offers until March 31. Search Honda 50 for details and fall in love with lunch again at Subway with 19 fresh new ingredients at participating restaurants. Geelong coach Chris Scott is with us on crunch time. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Jared. How are you? Very well. Feels like the quiet revolution down the highway got off to got off to a good start. How significant was all of that for the planning and for the work that's been done? 
Well, it's a fine line, isn't it? It, it certainly helps in terms of validation for the work we've done. But uh, as I said last night, post-game, it's, in our view, clearly not a complete endorsement of everything we've done. Uh, it's just that with a little bit of luck and a few things going our way, we feel a bit better about the work that we've done over the pre-season. But I do have a level of confidence that if we didn't get that little bit of luck and weren't able to, to hang in and scrape over the line, that we'd still be feeling quite positive about uh, you know the evolution that we've embarked upon. Are you prepared to declare how much change you've bitten off here? Not really, because... Well, there are a few reasons, but the main one is we're not exactly sure where it's going to end up. Uh, we're not um, so egotistical to think that this is a really carefully orchestrated plan that's going to go exactly the way we forecast, but there are a few sort of big-picture issues that we wanted to address, and, and we had some confidence through the pre-season that we were on the right track, but... I think last night was only a small step towards getting to where we need to. I suspect the game was a little bit of a typical round one game in that neither side were overly polished and, and clean with the ball. And we don't play Collingwood again in the home and away season. That's probably in our favour because I expect that they will get a lot better. When you stared down the decisions at the end of last season, how how brazenly would you put it? Is it is it sort of evolve or perish at that stage? Well, for a long period of time, we've been asking ourselves the question internally, where are we within our evolution and our transition? And it is almost complete transition now from the sort of 2000 and, well, certainly the 2007 and nine premiership teams, but probably the 2011 team as well. And given where you think you are within that, that cycle, uh, the decisions become really important. So getting that right um, is crucial, but well, we don't see any reason, um, even with the benefit of hindsight, to think that we should go back to the drawing board. And in any case, if, if we did make the decision that we were going to rebuild through the draft, that's a very, very long, painful process. Um, but I haven't heard anyone um, involved with Geelong endorse. It's a dirty word, rebuild. Don't even use that uh, loosely, please, <laughs> Scotty, on the radio. The Geelong fans will just drive off the road. But when you look at the, the changes you've made, and let's just go just fingernail deep and have a look at what you've done in the midfield, trusting greater responsibility to Kelly, uh, Duncan, and, and, and asking and challenging a Parfit and the Constable and these types to, to get better and assume more control... How, how Take us back to when that decision is made or how you arrive at that and the sell then, the sell to players like Selwood and Ablett that no longer will you be, in all likelihood, 30 to 35 possession players. You'll probably be closer to 20, but sheer quality. If you get to 25 like they did last night, fantastic. But how they handled that discussion? Yeah, well, the first part is that, in our view, that needs to be a collaboration between... You know, the key decision makers on the list management uh, committee, uh, even you know the CEO, you know the important people. I, I think it's um, really naive to think that um, the, the the football Adelaide's coach, Mayfair or, Hotel, or the place the to meet. Group, sorry, sorry go excuse on. me. Even the, even the, the the coaching group make those decisions in isolation. So um, 
key people are involved, but the players are the really important ones. And, and, and we work through a process, I expect it's similar at most clubs, where at the end of the season we have a look at where we are and, 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 and where, where the holes are and, and where we can maximise our strengths. And um, the thing that's really exciting for us is that some of our older players seem as driven for team success as they've ever been. Uh, and sometimes there does come a point where the priorities with that team success involve a little bit of a tweak to the individual role, which may um, mean that there's a little... Um, that they, their, their status in the outside world might suffer a little bit. I mean, I, I don't think that those two things are always mutually exclusive. Um, and I think Joel's a good example. I, I expect him to have a career best year this year. But the way we've tweaked his role a little bit means that we will assess his performance a little bit differently than, than, than maybe some of the media people. But it's still early signs. I mean, we're not saying that those guys um, are, are perfect yet or, or the roles that we've worked on are perfect yet, but their attitude towards it is very pleasing. So when, when do you have those discussions? I mean, it, it is, a, I'd imagine, a difficult discussion to sit down with a guy who's won a couple of Brownlows and say, look, we're shifting you to a different role. And I know, I understand the team side of it, but this is really going to affect you. And, and I think Gary's been harshly judged the last two years. So even coming into that discussion, it would be a difficult one. Do you recall when you had that chat? Yeah, it was ongoing last year. Um, probably the most significant conversation I had with him was before he came to the club because we needed to establish really clearly the terms um, on which he was going to come in. Um, I, I think probably in retrospect our club did a poor job in communicating how we saw Gary's role within the footy club. Uh, from a list management TPP perspective he is a fantastic acquisition for our club when you take all those things into account but it's obviously a hard one to communicate because we're not in the business of giving up the details of our total player payments and where players sit within our pay grade and even some of the misinformation around what we gave for him and you know, who who we may have overlooked um, to get Gary. I mean, I've heard so much misinformation, it's not funny, but it's just not worth um, correcting those things. But the risk is in not correcting it that there's an unrealistic expectation of what a 35-year-old with um, a bit of an injury history over the last few years um, is going to deliver. So I think we've done a little bit better job of that um, this year, and with all those things in mind, the conversations that I've had with him have been easy, and he, and he's made it that way. Um, I, my view, and this is not from from him, this is only my view, and I've held this for a long time watching him from the outside. I think he can play AFL football for quite a while yet, but it will be dependent on how he fits within the team structure. And some players, unfortunately, finish their careers prematurely in their view because the needs of a team are just a, a little bit different and they can't satisfy um, the requirements of, you know, that that individual might have of themselves. So, you know, I think I think it would be wrong to, to frame it as a really difficult, tough decision. Gary's been um, very, very easy to deal with and embraced everything we've talked about. So, Chris, last night was his game ideally to the blueprint of what you would expect. You never have the perfect game, but he wasn't necessarily as deep as I thought he might play. He won some of his possessions up the ground, but all in all, that was the trademark Ablett will see this year, hopefully. It's hard to say. Um, 
I think every game's going to be a little different. It's going to depend on matchups. We did throw them into the middle late in the game, and, and that's always an option that I think we'll have up our sleeves, you know, till his, till his last game, I suspect. But um, I, I think that's a reasonable assessment that last night was, was probably more typical of what you'll see of him in the next 12 months or so. How will you handle the speculation that's going to go on all year about Tim Kelly? It was a really brave call by the club to keep him and hold him to his contract. I've already read reports in the Herald Sun that he's going to request a trade home again, regardless. How are you going to handle it? Well, not listen to reports in the Herald Sun for start, because I understand where they're coming from, um, and it doesn't necessarily represent our view or Tim's view or his manager's view. I'd probably repeat the comments that Tim's made already publicly that none of us can predict the future. He's really driven to win a premiership with Geelong and our list management team will work really hard on getting a good result um, for the club. Now, I think the best result for the Geelong footy club is to have, for Tim to have a great year and he started it pretty well. He's the best player on the ground in my view um, last night and I'm very, very optimistic that he'll be a Geelong player for a long time. Um, and I, th- I think it's worthwhile saying here, and we're not going to talk about it all year, but anyone that thinks it's a foregone conclusion that Tim Kelly's going to lead Geelong um, is mistaken. Chris, Bob here. Congratulations on a win last night. We were talking about the, the significance of the 666, and can you take us into the coach's box, particularly for when the game tightened up late? Was it, was it much of a factor? It was a huge factor, unlike anything I've experienced as a coach in, um, certainly at Geelong as a head coach. Um, the, I said post-game, Steve Hockey made some comments that um, you know, the, the coaches are feeling a bit nude at the moment. I mean, we, we, we felt nude and impotent, which is a bad combination. It's <laughs> a strong visual. It's a strong visual. Again, I'm worried about your choice of words this morning. This is cool. This is, fr- this is fruity radio. This is what we want. I reckon you get back to using <laughs> So it's, it's, it's almost as vulnerable as I can, um, or a, a picture as I can um, conjure right at the moment. But late in the game, I mean, the equation's pretty simple, Bob. It's we got to a goal up and there was a, probably not much time to go and there, previously it would have been easy to shut down the game. Um, and, and even after the centre bounce, there was an opportunity to put numbers back. But the, the risk with that is that you don't get quite organised, not being able to use the runner. And our view is we don't want to lose the game through disorganisation. So our, our go-to was to stick with the plan that we had two minutes prior, which um, it worked this time, but I suspect it won't work at other times, and that that will mean sleepless, sleepless nights for coaches. So, so you're on the right side of that when you're a goal down. So is the Parford goal, is that almost the archetypal moment for what we'll see this season and the not being able to protect the lead and just how quickly it can happen? Yeah, well, I got home um, late last night and couldn't sleep, so I watched a replay um, of the broadcast vision, and I think it was James Bayshaw that said you can put that goal down to Steve Hocking, and it's not a bad call. Previously, with that amount of time left in the game, Collingwood a goal up, we certainly wouldn't have been able to generate even numbers in our forward half. So uh, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a, a pretty good 
case study into the reason for the rule coming in. Can I just ask the follow-up question on Tim Kelly from, from how strong you've been there? So clearly he's settled within the team. How much of it relies on being able to get the family settled geographically in Geelong? Well, that's the only part, really. Again, I'll repeat what I've heard Tim say publicly, which is he loves Geelong, and if he could move the Geelong Footy Club to Perth so he could have more family support, he'd play the rest of his career out at Geelong. Um, he, now, it is, it is unfortunate in professional sport right across the world that most players do need to move away from home to pursue their dreams. And it's a big impost on the, um, the families involved. And, and Tim has a slightly rare situation in that um, he's got three really young kids and had great family support in Perth that he doesn't have now. So um, I think anyone that has kids knows that it, it does get a little bit easier. That first year is really tough, um, especially when you've got you know, twins and, a, and another young child as well. But um, I mean, I think I'm just really confident that Tim will get better and better in every respect, not just his on-field stuff, but his off-field stuff as well. And I, and I should take the opportunity to say, it's not just about Tim the footballer. It's, it's not often that bring in a player who perform, has performed so well on the field after being overlooked for five drafts and become such an integral part of our footy club. Yeah. Footy clubs, in my view, good footy clubs, don't give up players like that easily. I'll just give John Ralph a call this morning and correct that uh, statement, uh, Scotty. I'll get him and fix the Herald Sun during the week. But the, let's have a talk about the... Speculation you know, game, King. You know, I understand that. I uh, respect it. It's all part of what we do. Let's have a look at the innovation at the moment and the different sort of tactics that are coming in with the new rules. And I think that whenever there is a rule change, there's always a couple of coaches' boxes that get ahead of the game and try things um, that... Maybe they don't want to show in round one and might try and store and hold for, for different parts of the season. But in, in terms of percentages, with your innovation and different things you're trying, wh- where would we be at? Have we seen 25% of what you're likely to do at centre bounces? Have we, are we seeing where you'll be for the year? I mean, we see Richmond doing different things with players off the back of square and the wingman sliding into the defence straight away. Wh- where would you be at? Almost ground zero, I think. And that's because so much depends on what the opposition do. And I think the, the modern game is very much a matter of saying, well, if, if we think the game's on our terms, then we'll leave things um, as they are. But we've got to be prepared to change things really quickly if it looks like the ground is set up to advantage the opposition. The centre bounce rules, I think, at least if I remove the coaching side of it, because coaches would like complete control, and I'm no different in that respect but previously you could almost have your cake and eat it too so now i think what the new rules have effectively said to coaches is if, if you want something really badly you're going to have to suffer a big penalty at the other end um, so that risk or reward has become much more real for us so i think there will be minor things around the, the center bounce but again we can't come up with anything that gives you a big advantage without leaving you really vulnerable somewhere else. 
Chris, thanks for your time this morning. It's been really easy to pick the promo line, so well done. You're in good form early. <laughs> Don't tell Sarah. Chris Scott, the Geelong coach (laughs) The award-winning Crunch Time For Honda's 50th birthday celebration Continues with great offers until March 31 Fall in love with lunch again at Subway With 19 fresh new ingredients At participating restaurants Martin Ford of the wing He breaks onto the right boot Pumps it in the Lynch direction Revolt! Lynch! Lynch! Levon flew over the top. It was all decoy. Lynch stayed down and pulled it in. What a dynamic duo. What a cunning plan. What a way to get a partnership started. Tom Lynch made the choice to play big game footy at the MCG. And the first shot at goal of the fresh season is his. And Tom Lynch makes it a good one. The start for Tom Lynch at Richmond was a tick. The loss of Alex Rance might have ramifications right through the rest of the season. On the balance of things, Kane Corns, what does Rance's absence from season 2019 mean to A, Richmond, and B, the competition? Well, it's hard to judge at the moment, isn't it? I mean, the, the amount of goals that he saves is equal to the amount that Rewalt uh, kicks up the other end, so you don't get the accolades with it. But his direction, his ability to come off and help out his, uh, his teammates in the air is as good as anyone. So, look, I think they can still win it without him. We, we saw what West Coast did last year without some significant players towards the back end of the year in Gaff and Nat Nui. And we've seen it before when uh, Ablett left Geelong. You, you, can, you can win it without one of your better players. It doesn't help. But i just got to say the way that he's handled it, the way that the footy club has handled it, is as good as I've ever seen. And, I mean, they'll restock. Uh, they've still got the key pillars back there in Asprey and Grimes who can hold down that key position back there. But, yeah, it's going to be a challenge for them, but I still wouldn't be riding Richmond off uh, just yet. It's a massive challenge. We know that. He's, you know, he's won five All-Australians in a row, Premiership. The, you know, he's the premier defender of, of this generation. But that, you're right, Kane. They, they, do have, they do have a solid defence. They've got a good balanced to their side. They become now a, a more orthodox sort of defence on paper anyway with Grimes and Asprey. The thing, the question I put to you guys and, and I'm wondering about this around the competition is Rance is such an intimidation factor for opposition. Mm. Key forwards of other teams, uh, half of them come in beaten beaten before the bounce because he's so attacking and, and he can make them look foolish. So that that's the thing going into games, the the psychological side of footy, they do lose a bit of that intimidation factor. I agree with that. Yeah, and I saw what uh, Josh Jenkins did to him. That's the best I've seen anyone play Rance last year. It's almost to the point where sides were tagging him. Uh, I saw Trengove when he was playing Port Adelaide just go after him and try and tag him. So, uh, look, you, you do get that, and a lot of planning from the opposition just gets taken away, the fact that he's not there. Um, but once again, um, I still think if there is one position that you can cover, it's a key defensive post, and you can shuffle the deck chairs a little bit when you've already got when you've already got two genuine. Uh, well, they're not. They're, well, you wouldn't say they're they're stars of the game, but they're very very good players in Asprey and Grimes. But yeah, I, I get that it's going to be a massive hole for them. But but I think they'll be able to adjust with this system that they've got. We've spoken about this a few times, King, is their their big four have been so sound. So Rance was 49 out of 49, Martin was 48 out of 49, and Cochin and Revolt were 47 out of 49 over the past two years. The gaping question that sat over Richmond is what if, and now we'll live the what if. I think if you look at the four you're talking about, I think the number is over the last 105 games, 
there's only been two of them miss in two of those games. So it's, we just haven't seen Richmond without mm. Rance. So I, it's, it's all well and good we say we say. This guy's not a defender. He's not. He's he's more than that. He, he's the guys you're talking about to, as not replacements, but to pick yep. up the slack. Asprey and Grimes, they are dour one-on-one defenders. They mm. negate. Rance doesn't negate. There's no greater influence on the offensive scoreboard once an intercept, and an interception has been won than Alex Rance. He's number one in the competition in the last four years at creating a score from his intercept. Now, that intercept can be on the goal line or it can be pressing up the ground, which Richmond love to do. That, that press is their game. Now, to have that game, you've got to have trust in your last line defenders to get the job done once the opposition gets through, which is going to happen. Now, they've had the luxury of a guy that's got an incredible eye on when to leave his man, when to help his fellow defenders out who have been, you know, learning their craft along the way to be able to influence that, to win it back. And then if he gets it wrong, his recovery speed to get back to his own man is unparalleled. So... I just put a big asterisk on this. I think he's the he's the one player at Richmond. Everyone will say Jack Rewalt, and, and they'll say maybe a, a Dustin Martin as absolute stars in the forward line. But what Rance does covers for six. So what does it do to the degree of difficulty for for their season? Well, it's a tough fix. I mean, Melbourne lost Lever last year, and they asked Max Gorn to go back behind the ball and become an intercept marker for them. So that was their way of fixing it. Richmond's style doesn't allow for that. So... I, it's just a watch. It's just it's just a massive hurdle so early in the season. And, and no one's... We're all crystal balling. It's very difficult. But the bigger question for Damien Harbick, and he'd be, he'd be wrestling with this right now, is do we have to change the way we play because we've lost such a key component down back? Because he's he's allowed this system to work, Alex. And, and, and Damien knows what he's always had. So he's, 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 actually, he's actually gone more aggressive and challenged the opposition and the competition to handle their forward half game knowing what he's got. So does it change the way they play? And if it does, what does that then do to their ability to win? What about the spiritual side of it, Bob? It did put me a little bit in mind of when you went down. Um, is Rance is such a, a keeper of the, of the tone with them. And he is. He's, the fact that he went up to the bench and was initially thought as a good signing, and no, that's sort of the Richmond, that's the thing he's brought to them. And then the hugs with Jack Revold is they are touchy-feely in the way that they play the footy and it served them so well, so spiritually. Once the grind sets in, what does it do? Well, I, I think it can go either way, but I, I would, if I had to put money on I would put it on bringing them closer together. And I think, I think, I mean, they're a very tight group anyway, and you can see what the, the hurt of the preliminary final loss last year had brought them closer. This this does bring them in tighter again because some, some people will write them off. I don't, think, I don't think we're prepared to do that, but I think there'll be much more of a question mark of how deep they can go if they don't, if they don't have him there. So they've got, a, they've got a very pointed point to prove, if, if you know what I mean. Can I just... Can we separate Bob from Alex? Because you, you weren't a key um, driver of the way the dogs played. You were a great player across half-back. But Alex is, is a key pillar in everything they do. In their style, yeah. In their style, isn't he? So there's a real challenge there. Damien Harbick will be creative, I've got no doubt. Tigers, after a winning start, they sit at 151%. The Blues at 66 The Cats edged the pie, so that's much closer. The 40-wing series about sleep ladder updates in the early stages. Crunch time continues. Scott Pendlebury is going to join us. We'll go back over what Chris Scott told us. Crunch time for Honda's 50th 
25th birthday celebration and fall in love with lunch again at Subway. Award-winning crunch time for Honda's 50th birthday celebration continues with great offers until March 31. Fall in love with lunch again at Subway with 19 fresh new ingredients at participating restaurants. It's the first Saturday of the AFL season, so much to discuss from what's happened so far. And with eight teams to play today, there will be much assessment made by the close of this Saturday. On Crunch Time, you're with Gerard Whateley, Kane Corns, Bob Murphy and David King. Assessing Alex Rance's absence from the remainder of the season. Chris Scott has set a hell of a tone early. He'll take some running down for the quote of the year. <laughs> and Scott Pendlebury is about to join us, the Magpies skipper, after Collingwood got off to a losing start last night. Let's delve a little, shall we? What do the coaches really think about 666 and how it makes them feel in the box? Well, Chris Scott has offered this as an opening gambit. It was a huge factor. Unlike anything I've experienced as a coach in, um, certainly at Geelong as a head coach, I said post-game, Steve Hockey made some comments that you know, the, the coaches are feeling a bit nude at the moment. I mean, we, we, we felt nude and impotent, which is a bad combination. It's <laughs> a strong visual. <laughs> so it's... it's it's almost as vulnerable as I can, um, or a, a picture as I can um, conjure right at the moment. And Steve Hawkins in a car somewhere chuckling to himself. <laughs> 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 what, what did you think, Kane? Uh, well, we described it beautifully because I was looking at him as, I mean, the Channel 7 cameras and Foxtel cameras love him because he's so emotional in the coach's box. And I was looking at him going, what, what is going through his mind? Now, that question from you, Bob, explains exactly what was going through his mind. But um, no, it was, a, it was a great description and um, one that we'll watch throughout the year on just how the coaches handle it. The language you use, though, you can't help but go there, Jared. I'm disappointed now I'm thinking about different things. <laughs> it's, it's really off-putting, you know. It's ruined my morning, to be honest. But he's, he's, uh, he is right, isn't he? I mean, we, we talked about it last week, Jared. You feel like you can't miss a centre bounce now. You feel like you can't mm. leave the game to put the kettle on or, yeah. or, or, or turn away because there's there's a high likelihood this, this contest is going to be one that creates a score. And we don't we hadn't had that for some time in our game where a moment or an event was so exciting. It'd be interesting to, I mean, we got Chris Scott to describe it so eloquently. I can't wait to speak to Scott Pendlebury and just and see oh, from, yeah. a, from a player's perspective, particularly it's so fortunate we've got, you know, a, a captain of, of Collingwood to talk us through what it's like out there when it tightens up at the end. And, the, and you, you are sort of, there's not, not as many options to, to stack the defence. And that's why I'm really still so confident about Collingwood because I, I just think the players with power. So if you look through Collingwood's list, they've just got so many players with power that can burst away from that centre bounce. When you look at, you know, eventually Dugowie will probably go in there, Trelaw, we know that. Uh, Beams has got power. Um, so they've just got that throughout the border. I just think that's going to be so important this year. And I look to today's game, you guys are at the G. And Max Gorn's combination and his chemistry with Clayton Oliver and his power and Viney and Brayshaw is just going to be highlighting the fact of, of these superstar players that are going to have a bit more time and space through the midfield and it's going to be great to watch. We're not going to see it. We're not going to see genuine innovation or point of difference for weeks because if the clubs are onto something they think is quite unique and powerful and that will create a score, they're not going to bring it out in round one, two or three. 
They're going to sh- warehouse that. They're trying it out of hours so no one sees it. And then whether it's a, a crunch time game later in the season or a final or, or a moment of importance um, throughout the course of the year, that's when they'll come out. That's when the tricks will start. We're going to have to be good to find it and to spot it. Mm. But that, that's the challenge. They're not going to show us in round one. So we, I think we're seeing 10% of what's available right now and what they know right now. So I remember back to Ken Hinckley's year with Port when they were on the charge to the preliminary final. The very last stoppage of that game when they were within a kick, he had a tactic with all the runners off the halfback flank essentially lined up like the stall gift. And I reckon he'd used it twice during the year. That was it, twice in games during the year. And at that moment, they decided, this is us. This is our play. And it went within a whisker of working. It was Hodge, wasn't it, who got himself onto the ball. Is I'm a bit with you. Is if the, And we think Melbourne was probably the most creative group on that front. Is yeah, they have got a very innovative coach's box. A quick look at this, a quick look at that, and then put it away for when it can actually win and, you a game. And a dominant uh, Ruckman, isn't yeah, it, with it, Melbourne. So that's, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the added benefit there is they, they can back themselves more that they'll, that they'll win the tap. And you're right, Jared. We we call. I was actually there at the time. We called it green, so every everyone knew when it was green that w- that was the tactic. So the wingers would actually push right forward, almost to the edge of the 50 metre logos. That's where the wings would go to open up. That the halfbackers would come through, um, try and push the ball forward at all costs. And the practice that went into that at training was hours. And you're right, it was used maybe two, three times throughout the year when you're a couple of goals down with five minutes to go. Everyone calls out green and the players know what to do. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see, and it's, um, it's where the coaches earn their money. Deserved a better name than Green, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Come well, on, the, well, 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 I didn't come up, I didn't what come up with it. There, the there, flying V or something? <laughs> no. A bit of pizzazz, mate. Not the mind gun. No, well, if, <laughs> if you need to protect the lead, it was red. It's very oh, simple. I mean, for, <laughs> well, no, no, play school. No, no, didn't Footballers last. aren't very smart, are they? <laughs> well, well, let's be honest. They're not academics. I, th- I think red is pretty self-explanatory. When you need to protect the lead, it's red. Um, when you need to go for it, it's green. All out. <laughs> the other traffic out. traffic light system. Oh, I know why it didn't work. Oh, I'm starting to work it out. In my mind, that's carried such mystique. I know. That's it. Green. You took us on a, a five-minute wander there, Jared, oh. and all it was was green. <laughs> the other takeout of Chris Scott's interview, Kane, is you put it you put it on him. Is how they're going to deal with the Tim Kelly speculation? Well, how about saying this right out of the gates? And I'm very, very optimistic that he'll be a Geelong player for a long time. I think it's worthwhile saying here, and we're not going to talk about it all year, but anyone that thinks it's a foregone conclusion that Tim Kelly's going to lead Geelong um, is mistaken. That's a good strategy, Kane. Oh, I love it. And if, if I'm a Geelong supporter, uh, I love hearing that. We are not going to give up. Uh, it be interesting to see how it goes the longer the season goes on. I, I take my mind back to when Alistair Clarkson pretty much gave Brad Hill his blessing to go home to Fremantle. I think that was around about round 17, 18. Will Geelong do the same at that point in the year if, if it's all a foregone conclusion? But right now they are digging in because they need him and he's he's nearly with Dangerfield there. Well, he's probably their most important midfielder alongside Dangerfield now. So he's digging in. He's not giving up. They'll do anything they can. Love to know what he's worth. I mean, it, it increases every week um, and we speculate on wages, don't we? But he's he's every bit of a seven to $800,000 player Gee, right now. Going quick on that. Oh, look, he, he's mm. had a great night. Okay, and he's had, he had a fantastic first year last year. But... It, on the open he, market, though, if Dan Hanabry's getting 800000 
Oh, you, I mean, Dan Hanbury's a separate bracket altogether. I mean, that's not the that's not the benchmark. We'll come back mm. to that. He's not, he's not the standard bearer, I don't think. But I, I don't know if he's an eight hundred thousand dollar player right now. I mean, his kicking has to has to really improve. I mean, last night he he probably put half a dozen kicks inside fifty. I'd be surprised if any of them were marked. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about a marquee player on marquee money, you want more bang for your buck than thirty one disposals and four score involvements. I mean, that needs to come up to eight or nine, but maybe even ten to twelve. So, it's all well and good talking about. We need more sample numbers. size, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a game that just totally destroyed Collingwood. So I, I think we've just got to pull back on the on the hype fractionally. Yeah, uh, we were second in the best and fairest with Dangerfield last year, but you're right. Yeah. I think he kicked it at fifty odd percent, and that was about his average last year. So you, you spot on with his kick, but I'm just saying with. On the open market, with what clubs are offering players that want to move? Now, he's restricted because he only wants to go pretty much to two clubs, isn't he? So that, that does bring your price down. But players are getting ridiculous money. Can, can Fremantle, uh, could they afford to give up a number one uh, first-round pick again? Given their history, could they afford to do that at the end of this year? Well, I mean, Fremantle, uh, could Fremantle they is a separate, yeah, and, a separate case. I, I, sorry, King, I don't trust... I don't trust their recruiting, to, to be honest. Um, it appears a little bit out of desperation now if you hear the things that they knew about Jesse Hogan, and it's a, I know it's sensitive going there with that. Um, I'm surprised that they went there. So depends how they go. I mean, it depends what year they have. Uh, if they win 12, 13 games, which is going to be tough for them, and then they top up with another midfielder, perhaps. If they win five... Then you've you've got it. You've got no choice but to go back to the draft and hold on to your draft picks. The Collingwood side of the equation from last night. The captain Scott Pendlebury is with us on Crunch Time. Scott, welcome. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. How'd you come away from last night? Um, yeah, pretty tired actually. When I got up this morning, I don't really sleep too well. Um, yeah, just a, a little bit disappointed. I felt um, you know we had we had a crack all night and we just were really messy with the footy and um, I think got, you know, in the end just sort of got overrun by, um, you know, the the way that they played and they were able to just sort of dominate the territory game in, in that sort of last quarter and a half. Was it frustrating? There were glimpses, there were moments where you thought, oh, how, how good does this look? And the rest of the night was just sort of just an offbeat moment here or there. Yeah, it was sort of that almost night, like we almost got a lot of things right, but um, you know, credit goes to Geelong too. You know, their, their pressure was pretty good. They never gave up on plays. Um, they forced us to sort of make the extra handball or another kick. So, um, you know, I felt like in that second quarter, potentially could have put a, a nice little gap in the game if we had, a, you know, I think we missed a couple of snaps from the top of the goal square. I missed from like 25 out. Got to take those opportunities and, you know, Geelong are a really good side. So, um, you know, they, they could probably say the same thing though as well about the last quarter. They had a lot of opportunities. And, and didn't capitalise until you know really late. Scott Bob here. Uh, was there? Was how deep was the frustration at halftime? Because watching it from the ground, it, it looked like you guys had so much of the so much of the play in your half. It looked like it, not quite dominant, but certainly in control. And the, and the scoreboard didn't reflect that. Did it? Did it take? Did it take the wind out of the out of the the boys' sails at all? Oh, I don't think so. Even I think in the last quarter, initially when they got up, and then we fought back to um, get a goal in front. So the boys were into the fight. There's no doubt about that. It's just, um, yeah, you just you just know that it'd be nice to kick those goals, and, and nobody means to miss. So, um, yeah, as I said, we're doing a lot of things right. It was just the finishing off in front of goal, which has usually been a strength of ours in the last sort of 12, 24 months. 
There's been so much conversation around the new 666 and we spoke to Chris Scott earlier about his experience as a coach when the game tightened up late. What was it like for yourself as a, as a captain of, of your footy club and being in the midfield? Were, were, you, were you more aware of that when the game tightened up late? Yeah, it's a funny one because when we were down by, I think, a goal, I was all for the 666. If you can get a break out, you might get a quick goal, which is what we did. And then we managed to get another one to put us a goal in front. But then I didn't really like it because I would have liked a few people charging off the back of the square. So, yeah, as a player, um, yeah, certainly... As I said, when, when you're in front, you wish you could have all the support in the world behind, but I think as neutrals and spectators and the look of the game, I think it was it's exciting knowing that you can get a centre, centre break and you can go into even numbers and let your forwards go to work. Can I ask you as captain, how much of an impost now without the use of the runners does the message or the setups or just the, the conversation uh, from coaches box it's not there at the moment it's not it's not as readily available has fallen on your shoulders and, and is, did you notice it at all last night or have you noticed it through the JLT um, I think more than anything it probably falls um, the you know the forward line group the midfield group the back line group those divisions uh, it's so important if you know if you're a forward you're not back out there to get the message out to the to the rest of the guys so it's probably the guys that aren't used to doing it as much um, you know the guys like myself, Steele, Howie. You know we've we've been doing this anyway, and then usually the runner goes out and just delivers sort of messages for, for people. So now it's everyone's got to be willing to go out there and give that feedback, you know, structurally or tactically, what things you want to change. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a work in progress. I think every side's trying to play with and try and find what's optimal. You don't get the result last night, but how? How tangible is it for you when you walk away from the game to know this is why we lost? I, I think if, if you had to make a phone call to a couple of players or to give a review to a coach, what sort of feel would you be putting on it t- today to sort of say, OK, we can correct this and go from, say, a nine-goal performance last night to a to a 15-goal performance next weekend? Is, is it is it something that's readily fixable? Yeah, I think Buck spoke about it last night. Just our, um, yeah, we, we pretty much have just been burning the ball in our back half and probably just playing the game too quick you know we get it out and we just bang straight into a handball chain or um just too eager to go straight away we've just got to let the game sort of settle a little bit more and we'll find space so we yeah bucks hit it straight away after the game we knew in the two jlts it was an issue and um you know even at times last year it plagued us as well so it's just one of those things that we've identified and then um and then the other one i think we've just got to take you know our chances we had a few drop marks um shots in front of goals so we'll just go to work on that and um, yeah I think I think as a side we know what we need to improve on and um, you know we'll try and learn the lessons real quickly and, and get up again for Thursday night. One of your strengths last year was your unpredictability in your forward half. Uh, Jamie Elliott I thought was one of the stories of the night he gives you a different dynamic take us behind the work that he's done in the last two years to get himself to the point that he can come back in and have the impact he did last night. Yeah, it's. Um, I think when he kicked that first goal, everyone was just so happy for him. To, um, it was almost like a sigh of relief. Like it was almost a little bit of a moment where you know I'm back finally. Now let's just get on with footy because it has been. You know, it's, it's two years um, in the making where um, you know he's an established superstar of the competition. Then you get two years taken away out of your career. So the work that he does. Um, you know, every single day to, to make sure his body's right, um, all the little things that he's doing. Um, to stick at it for two years is a fair effort. So last night was just great reward. And, you know, for a guy like him last night to come out and, and kick three and put that forward pressure on was, 
was fantastic. And now as a Ford group, we've just got to you know, make sure we keep working together. That's the first time you know that group's played together. So get the dynamic right. And you know, it will take a little bit of time, but um, yeah, it's an exciting Ford group that we've got up there. And the other one for me was Darcy Moore. He appears to have found his home, Pendles. Is he there for yep. good at back, or will you be tempted to put him forward at some stage? Oh, I think he's he just looks so natural behind the footy. Um, he just reads the play so well. His athleticism, play on tall and small. Uh, yeah, and, and he's um, you know the legitimate seventy metre player when he gets the ball in his hands from kickouts. You know he can take off, um, you know, 55, 60 metre kick. So it's invaluable to have behind the footy and. Yeah, I think he, you know, for now he'll definitely stay behind the ball. But you know, like last year and um, every side, you know, you see with Richmond Grant's going down. If something gets thrown up and he has to go forward, he's got that capability as well. When you drove into the MCG last night, Scott, it's game day again. Did, did you have any lingering thoughts on on Grand Final day and and what that means to you? No, not not really. I just um, I reckon every year round one, you're always a little bit edgy, agitated, sort of. Uh, yeah, I find it just nerves, really, just wondering how you're going to go, how's, how's the game going to play out, uh, you know, are we going to be able to play the way we want to play, what's Geelong going to bring, so I just had all those questions going through my head, and, and for me, 2018's done and dusted, can't get it back, um, you know, it's all about 2019 and making sure, um, you know, we attack this as best we can and give it our best shot, and, you know, last night wasn't the ideal start, but, you know, we'll improve and, and get better. How tangible is the idea of just how much work it takes to get back to where you want to be? Uh, well, it's a lot. It's a lot more enjoyable playing in finals than 2017, 16, 15, 14 when we weren't. So that works hard work and rewarding, and the other works hard work without the reward. So the guys know how hard it is, how much work, uh, but it's been really good in fighting that. that. It's a process, it's a, um, it's a journey. Let's take it step by step, round by round. Uh, and we come up short last night, so you know we've failed that first test and we've got to get back on the horse pretty quickly and, and you know, play a formidable opponent in Richmond on Thursday. Your forward 50, Scott, just, it, it looks so much different when Mason Cox is in there. I know there was time, there's, there's times where he's got to come off the ground and rest and there's times where he has to go in the ruck, but when he's not there, it's almost last night like that that ball that high ball going into Mason is so predictable for the rest of the group and when he's not there I, I, I want to ask you what it's like looking up and seeing him there and then not seeing him there because I'd love to do a, a, a balance a profit, profit loss sheet on when he's not there because it looked last night as, as if there was no direct bona fide target when he wasn't down there is that a fair call? Yeah well I think it's just um, because Mason's so unique you know like you can literally kick the ball in his area and you know there'll be a contest. doesn't matter how many people are there. And it's it's something that, um, you know, no side other than us really have that a guy that's seven foot that plays forward. And I suppose you see more a traditional forward line when he's not there where, you know, Brody Majacek's the key forward who's six foot four. And, um, you know, all your forwards you've got to get back and help equalise because you can't let, you know, checkers go 1v3, whereas Coxie, uh, our forwards probably feel a little bit more comfortable to... Um, let their guys try and fly against him knowing that it'll come to ground. So it's something we've got to work on for sure that when Cox is not there that we equalise better, allow the forwards that are there to have real legitimate one-on-ones. So it's a, it's a discussion for another time, but it's almost as if Mason needs to stay permanent forward. He's such an important commodity for you now. Yeah, he is. He's, um, as I said, like whenever you get the ball and you look up, he's, he's so valuable. So 
Um, but then again, you know, you can't just flog Brody all night in the ruck, so he's got to have that break. And Cox is a, a really good second ruck for us. So, uh, as I said, I think it's more the forward group and, and working out how we want to play. Um, you know, and Geelong defended us really well last night at times too, forced us long when, um, you know, we probably needed to find an extra kick to, to get to the open side or, or change the angle so we could open up some different leading lanes. What will you be ready for on Thursday night? I suspect Richmond would like to try to work out some of their um, some of their angst from the preliminary final on you. Um, yeah, well, we've had some really good battles with them last year. Um, so I think both sides sort of know what to expect watching them um, Thursday night and you know, even watching our game this morning. is like both sides are still a little bit scrappy, not quite um, as polished as probably both sides would like to be yet, but... We have a fierce battle around the footy when we play Richmond um, and we've got to be up, roll our sleeves up, get to work and, um, yeah, see how we go. Scott, thanks for your time today and good luck for the journey ahead. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Scott Pendlebury is the Collingwood captain with us on Crunch Time. For Honda's 50th birthday celebration continues with great offers until March 31. Fall in love with lunch again at Subway with 19 fresh new ingredients at participating restaurants. The first Saturday of the season is the stepping off point for eight teams. For Melbourne, they'll step off without Jordan Lewis, who's a late withdrawal with a hamstring complaint, and it means Tom Sparrow is going to make his debut. We know the swag of debutants fronting up for Port Adelaide. In the crunch, we will assess the Demons and the Port and cast an eye towards what else is in store on this Saturday of footy. The crunch, we deal with the issues of the week, and there's been no shortage. Jared Waitley, David King, Bob Murphy with you. The crunch is for Scooty the best way to get around town. Got to get stuff out there at the start of the season sometimes. That was clearly Alan Richardson's motives yesterday with Dan Hanabry. Have a listen to how he set up the scenario around Hanabry and his absence from a decent chunk at the start of the year. Uh, he said, don't worry about round four. It's going on. to be significantly further down the track than that. We have to rebuild him. How Rebuilding. dicey is Oof. the recruitment of Dan Hanabry looking right now? Rebuilding. When he says rebuild this word earlier, yeah, not a been, good word. It's been a popular part of today's program. Um, that, that made me a bit nervous. I mean, when you're saying rebuild someone, that's not a that's not a two-month process. And he's been on the sidelines for quite some time. I've been down there pre-season training. He was just jogging laps. He wasn't even really part of any meaningful that's the, training session. That's the kind of language... You might hear of an injury-prone twenty-year-old, not of a not of a veteran recruit. That's yeah, that that's alarming to rebuild him. I was shocked when I heard that. Yeah. So look, I think what you've got to keep in mind, Jared, is is when you are in St Kilda's position, the, the players you can actually attract. Uh, you don't get the full go of 100% of the available talent that are out of contract or, or looking to change clubs or come home. You just don't because what do you sell? You're not necessarily selling a premiership in the short term. You're selling basically come in and coach some of these young kids up. We're a poor performing team. The sell's poor, okay? So you pay, you've got to pay more and you've probably got to give up more in terms of the trade to get the deal done to appease all parties. So I understand the field's narrow. So they probably have to bite off a player that maybe in the perfect world they wouldn't want, okay? They w- that wouldn't be seen as a popular selection. So you do have to take a punt. So in, in my eyes, I think it was a gamble that St Kilda probably had to take at some stage. And you call it Hanabry, call it a different type of player. Um, 
but I didn't mind it. Will he? Ha- he'll have a he'll have an effect on the club, away out of ours, and that he has to make sure that effect is a strong positive one. That's his challenge right now. He can't do it on the field. He, he can't be a negative effect anywhere else. That's what I'm worried about. So what about? Five years at big money, taking into account what you said. So five years is pro- the, probably the issue here is the five years. Is it's felt that Sydney thought three was the max and the likelihood of getting him through three years and the physical condition of the player that they knew mm. was um, was low. Yeah, and, and that's so that what represents a first year return on Hanabry as we enter 2019. What ex- what's an acceptable first year return? Oh, he's not get, whatever you whatever benchmark you send, send, set he's not going to get to. Okay. He's not going to get to. So, so I think it's it's not really it's not really fair to, to, to have that discussion but so not 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 fair to set. So what are you asking St Kilda to do though? So say they don't get Hanabry. What, what, what do they do? Just park yeah. that money well, to, and pay, or pay overs to blokes that are already underperforming. Yes, yeah, so I, I agree they had to bring whatever players they could in but the fear on Hanabry was that he was physically clapped out and the reality is he's physically clapped yeah. out yeah. they've discovered exactly what they were told they would discover yeah well, I'm, so it's a, I'm just painting the picture of, of, of the club in a position have to get someone yeah, yeah but you to have, have to get some on-field return on yeah, that agree agree oh, oh look everyone was not shocked is probably not the right word they were oh really but that that length yeah, five years. The money to me is not as significant as the tenure, um, but yeah, I understand both both parties. Does it put an additional mood around St Kilda for tomorrow? The, well, they've they've had to absorb almost the maximum. You go into a footy season knowing there's going to be ups and downs, and you're going to have to take a few bumps along the way. I think of Jaron Geary and think how much St Kilda's locker room has absorbed over the summer is is, is as about at the maximum you could kind of forecast for of of injuries and, and losing Jack Stephen for a couple of weeks. They've you know, Jake Carlock there, there's there's a there's a cluster of these moments already and we haven't even bounced the ball. There's a there's a there's a real cloud of pessimism and and, and they've got and they've got the the bogey first up. They've got the Gold Coast first up, which which adds another element to it of the fallout from round one. You know, poten- potential fallout and, and what it means for the rest of the year. Kane, do you, do you, do you see he's not there? So yep. do you just, do you guys subscribe to the fact that it's impossible to judge Alan Richardson now? Uh, in in isolation in this year, yes. Yeah, particularly yeah. the next say, call it six weeks. I mean, I mean that, yeah. I mean, you take the, the, the they've lost. How their many of their best? best pro- might even be five. Like at a stretch, they've. It's not the St Kilda that he would have planned for. No. Like, the, so it's pretty pretty hard to judge them on on what's going to happen. And, in and the even early, certainly early, early part. Building a game plan. Everyone talks about maximising your strengths. So you're tailoring game plans around your best players, and then when they're not there. You, you drop back to the to the lesser ranked uh, players in those key roles. Look, we want to see St Kilda be competitive. I, I think they will be. I, I think that they'll be a bit of. A, they may not win the games that people are asking them to win. The volume of games, but I'd be surprised if they didn't win eight, nine games. I mean, it, and is that enough? I, I think it is. Mm. So. The, the bar's dropped in terms of what they need to achieve. It's not necessarily finals. It's not necessarily being in that group, you know, pushing 6 to 12 on the ladder. It's maybe just just get your 8 or 9 wins. 
the Jesse Hogan scenario out of Fremantle, let's deal with the football side of it first. Is It's written in the West that the futures of Steve Rossich and Ross Lyon are now wedded to Hogan working out as the, the high-priced recruit that he is. Do you subscribe to that? I do. Yeah, I do because you give up so much to get these guys. And, and it's, a, it's a full club decision. You know, this, this doesn't just sit with Ross Lyon. It sits with those who made those decisions. And Rossich was a major part of this decision in the off-season. So you lose a Lockie Neal and you, and you sell them publicly is, but we've got three other players in for the one. Now, that, that comes at a cost. You, you, you do have to sign on to that. Now, this is a bit different to the Hanbury discussion because they've, they've, um, they've given up, in my opinion, they, they've given up more in the past that's failed. This one had to go well. This off-season spend had to go well, you know, particularly after Harley's continual mistakes. You've got Colin Sylvia in the past. There's just been a, a, a whole host of players that have failed once they've gone to Fremantle. You know, McCarthy, where, where's he been? We haven't seen him play great football. So they had to get one right. And when you watch the JLT, I mean, he was fantastic for them in the second JLT too. And you thought, you know, this is the man. Guaranteed mm. two goals a game and, and, and guaranteed 20 touches a week. That's what he does. So this, this is a, a the fallout is huge for Ross Lyon here, no doubt. He in the end, it's the coach that cops it. No matter who gets it wrong at the club, the coach cops it, and he's in a really awkward stage of his of his coaching tenure. It's worst case scenario, really. There's the there's the good. You, you hope for the best, and there's always the contingency for you know if it doesn't quite work out with 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 trading players in, and we're seeing that with Hanbury. That's that's not quite worst case scenario, but it's pretty bad. That the question mark on his health with the, the Jesse Hogan that. This is worst case scenario, and because because they came with a bit of that baggage, but the the timing of it. Usually, a player when they when they get to the they you get the best version of them straight up. Particularly players who've come with with behavioural issues, they fresh environment, wanting to sort of earn their stripes, toe the line. This happens on the eve of the season. We'll, we'll get to the other side of it, the, the the clinical anxiety and the serious nature of that that part of uh, Jesse Hogan's issues, but, but the pure football side of it, the timing is just disastrous. You talked about knowns. This was known that Jesse had some issues. So if you're going to compare the Hanbury discussion at St Kilda, then you can you can have the same discussion with Hogan at Fremantle. Now, we, we've got to be careful what we say and all those sorts of things because, you know, people want to jump on you if you get one or two words wrong here. But they knew this situation coming in. So it's, it's the same clarity and the same sort of spend and the same sort of tenure. So it, we can't isolate these two these two clubs. The, the mental illness side of this has been, I think, really challenging on a number of fronts in this scenario. So it's been marked by a distinct lack of sympathy. The sympathy, I know that Ross Lyons says the media, that the lack of sympathy has been from former players, which I think has been really interesting. David Schwartz went really hard. Carl Langdon went really hard. Malcolm Blight. Um, and then you tie into Fremantle tried to put a veneer on this and they've been called out on clinical anxiety by the medical community. That's made up. That's a really bad misstep. And when the Players Association and Paul Marsh um, condemns those who are questioning someone who's brave enough to put their mental illness issues out there, this is why. Is This is what's happened in the last six weeks. There's a build-up of suspicion around mental illness being used as a cop-out for poor behaviour. And then you get a club who really does botch this. 
that statement that they put out was long on detail but short on the actual story and there were holes that got picked in it along the way and then the collapse of it it does jesse no favors it does the players broadly no favors i don't think it does the club any favors and it's certainly um the the disconnect between the football following public and where the players are right now, that divide is so wide. And, and this incident has played a really significant role in it. And it sits with Fremantle and the use of the phrase clinical anxiety. They wanted it to sound like this was beyond reproach. You can't question this. This is clinical anxiety, except that they made it up. That The wording of it and the wording of it mattered. Yeah, the wording mattered. I think that's, that's a, a key part of what you just said then. The wording mattered. And this is what happens in these events is that when you have an issue with a player, whether it you know, separate the, the mental uh, challenges of this one, but whenever you have a player transgress, it brings everyone down. It challenges every part of your organisation to be bulletproof. And more often than not, you aren't. And, and a wor- the wording's wrong or the events are wrong. As soon as in a press conference you have to say, I'm unaware of that, you're in trouble. Was he in Mandra? I'm unaware of that. Was he in a, involved in a fight in the car park? Oh, I'm unaware of that. You're in real trouble. And, and Fremantle would be would be hurting with the wording they used after that, and, and the actual press conference. It was light, it was light on detail. It really was. And I couldn't understand why. If we're going to be honest here, and I, Peter Bell's a former teammate of mine and a, and a star player, and gone to Fremantle for the right reasons. He wants to see this club successful. But th- they had to sit Jesse down at some stage and say, "Give us the full events of the night. Give us the facts. Give us where you were. What happened? How how, how are we here?" Um, it was it was too early. Jared Waitley, David King, Bob Murphy at the MCG, where the sun has burst through the early morning cloud. Melbourne and Port Adelaide. The D's without Jordan Lewis, a late withdrawal with a hamstring complaint. The crunch, the issues of the week for Scooty, the best way to get around town. Bob, are we any better off as a football community for the the courage and the forthrightness of Taylor Harris, who stood up to online abuse? gathered a community with her and is forcing a much broader conversation from not only governing bodies but from governments right now we are i, f- I feel like if if the, if the, this week was a battle the good guys won but it's it's what's happening with the war so there, there'll be there'll be another moment like this but at the moment for, for how the week went it was a it was a yo-yo of emotion week for me personally i i'm I imagine it would have been for for a few people out there, but I think as the from the moment that that photo was posted, and then we heard about the vulgar and abhorrent comments. By the end of the week, we have this silhouette image that is now an iconic image of defiance. So that that to me is a is a huge win. But the the battle goes on, Jared. Mm. And the how is really difficult. So the high minded ideal of the registration of social media this is it's not a footy issue it's not an australian issue it's an international issue that's been grappled with in you know far more difficult circumstances than than abuse in a football scenario if you think about new zealand if you think about american elections and the like is this is um there's no uh, there's no solution to it but if we don't have the conversation then that's conceding defeat so I think that it's been worthwhile for the conversation that's been started. What are we as a footy community doing in our crowds at the moment? Is this, a, is this starting to become a cultural 
concern for us. A fight on the first night, an incident at halftime. Do you want to tell us what happened last night, King? <laughs> Are you happy to? Oh, well, it's, yeah, I think it's um, it, it'll be public knowledge if it's not already. So we're, we're doing the Fox uh, broadcast last night. We're set up basically on one of the tunnels. It's a, pretty much an on-ramp to the access point for the ground. Most people know where that is. It's in the sort of the forward pocket down there. And I don't know whether it was one or two beers or whatever it was comes towering, you know, st- just drowned us all, really, on the set just at the end of the game when we we're about to go on air. So it causes a mad panic for everyone to get organised, but just just unacceptable. I'm not sure where it come from. I'm not sure what level it was on. But the seats that are above us, they're not they're not the $10 seats. They're, they're, they're expensive seats. So I was really surprised by that and disappointed. I mean, we've just got to be better. I think everyone accepts that and understands that. And maybe maybe we've got to have better ways of, of calling out this behaviour. I think once you isolate the person and, and, and that person really feels the feedback of what they've started elsewhere, then you do get a change in behaviour. But until then, I mean, I don't know whether that person will ever be known to us. Yeah, so someone in an upper tier yeah. poured their beer down over the television setup. Went all over Nick Rewalt, myself... Yeah, we've got Sarah Jones there and Jason Dunstall. I'm not sure how much they cop, but just not on. I had a conversation with someone who was who was in and around that broadcast, and they there was another beer at a separate time where a little kid who had been an Oz kicker who was sitting with his dad, and they were sitting there. They themselves got drenched, and the person who was relaying this story said that little kid who'd had the night of his life, yeah. and then he has a, a beer poured all over him. It's like that breaks your heart, that kind of thing. So. What you know? What a what a horrible end to that night. What, what can we do about the violence? So the first thing that happens is we have to change our language. It's not enough to say there were eighty five thousand people at the footy last night, and the majority of people did the right thing. So don't worry; these are isolated incidents. No, no, there's a really clear pattern of behaviour now, and it flies in the face of the way we've jealously guarded our sport. Is if we truly believe that it's the family environment where all fans can be integrated, then we have to live to that standard. And one fight is too many. So when the, the law of the land action is a 300-and-something dollar fine, that, that's inadequate. And then what role does the game have to play? And there should be... We should be unflinching on this. It just should be straight-out life bans. You get yourself into a fight where punches are thrown at the footy, that's it. Your days of going to the footy, you're not welcome ever again. Zero tolerance for that. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If you're throwing punches at the footy, done out one go and we as a footy community should demand it instead of going oh, no, no 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 don't spoil it it's isolated it's the people are catching on cameras they haven't caught it before nonsense this has the risk of really infiltrating our game deeply and what you know the arrogance that aussie rules fans have towards the cultural issues of soccer we don't have the right to that arrogance it's not just the, the footy though jared it's 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 on the trains it's it's everywhere at the moment yeah so, we've lost a little bit of control as, yes, a, as a society as a society so not, in not, our it's not con- just a footy no issue. no but in the confines of footy what are we prepared to do we should be prepared to do as much as is yeah. possible do you because know, if I, you don't confront it somewhere then we just go along the path that we're on i, I agree with you 100 percent, jared about the one the physical violence is be really really clear on it you're out it's it starts with the verbal now i'm not sure if this is just the the golden haze of nostalgia but i remember as a going to the football as a kid people would yell things out but there was a sense of it trying to entertain and of a shared experience i when sometimes sitting in the outer now the level of abuse it's a it's a really personal thing and people say i've i've paid my ticket i can say what i want no, 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 it's a sh- this is a shared experience. 
it's not just about you getting whatever you want off your chest and and, and to abuse people. And there's kids around us, but it's a shared experience. And you, people have got to acknowledge that. Yes, you page, but so did everyone else. We have to remember, I think, that the world is a really troubling place, increasingly so. Sport should be our sanctuary. We shouldn't... Oh, I just think we've lost sight of what sport is. So sport's the dessert card of life. And everything else has to be in order for us to fully enjoy our sport. But when sport starts to reflect the sinister edge that's in our world, then we lose. We lose that sanctuary, and it's just like everything else. Turn your scooter into a money-making machine. Drive for Scooty, Melbourne's first two-wheeled taxi. I want you to set this up for us this afternoon, Kingy. So Melbourne and Port Adelaide and the fortunes of two teams. Well, there's a few few Melbourne players that are coming in after after one VFL game, and you talk about Viney, uh, Melksham, these, these types of players. There's three or four of them. So Melbourne are not at their absolute cherry ripe best today. So what we see from Melbourne will be will be they'll get better from week on week from here. So this will be bottom bottom uh, rung for them today. I, th- I think they'll win. I think they'll win well, which is why I want to bring up a bit of a conversation about Port Adelaide. They've changed so much in the off season. The way they move the ball, the way they defend. Um, they've got four youngsters coming in today. We haven't seen this. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot for round one in a what I think is a pretty big game for the club. Now, people will say you're asking Port Adelaide to to be competitive away from home against a, a potential powerhouse in Melbourne this year. Um, but when you change so much, you need reward. The players need to see that the plan can work and the plan is is viable. So I'm nervous that if today's a big result or a big margin in favour of Melbourne, that the trap door doesn't open for the belief in Port Adelaide. They've got Carlton and Brisbane the next two weeks, so the draw does open up for them. But today, they need to be competitive today to show and endorse what they've done in the off-season is viable. Well done. Kingy, Bob and Kane. A memorable first edition of Crunch Time 2019, which will live forever as the nude and impotent <laughs> edition of Crunch Time. I'm going to put your clothes I, back on, gents. This is all right today. I hope Honda and Subway appreciate it. Honda's 50th birthday celebration and fall in love with lunch again at Subway for Crunch Time. If you didn't catch the start, do subscribe to the podcast. It's well worth hearing. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.